Hi, Magic is Real listeners. This is Shannon Torrance. Today, my guest is Jen Dean. When Jen was a teenager, she was diagnosed with leukemia. After having a toxic reaction to chemotherapy, she had a near-death experience. And today, she's going to tell us all about it and how it informed her spiritual path going forward. Jen and I hope that you enjoy this interview, and if you do, it would really mean the world if you could take the time to leave a positive review, share with like-minded friends, like, and subscribe. Thank you so much for your support. It helps me to continue doing what I'm doing and to get the word out there that this is not all there is. Thank you so much, and here's my interview with Jen Dean. Hello, Magic is Real listeners. Today I have with me the lovely Jen Dean. She is a near-death experiencer and a human being with a, a lot of insight to share. So I'm really excited to have her today and thank you for listening and or watching. Jen, how are you today? Thank you so much. I'm doing for great. Me. Good. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I am so happy to have you on. Um, first of all, Jen, I like to get to know, I like people to get to know you. I like to get to know you. Um, I'd love to know what it is that you're, I, I kind of say do, but um, what's your life like? What do you do? What's your job? What's your career? And just generally, who are you as a human being? Um, okay, so I am a pediatric Reiki nurse, um, and I'm also a master teacher of Reiki. So I have, I usually work pediatric home health. And then I have my mystical mama um, business, which is the Reiki business where I teach and I do um, Reiki sessions. So uh, that's my career I use. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, help to kind of get Reiki into the medical field a little more because Reiki nurses are popping up all over. We're seeing great results from Reiki in the medical field. So um, I'm excited to be a part of that, um, you know, evolution, a little bit of medicine. And also I am the mother to my four and a half year old miracle baby, Declan. So he's my little best friend. Um, I had cancer. I'm a child, pediatric cancer survivor. Uh, I had leukemia when I was 13 years old. And my near-death experience actually happened due to an adverse reaction to the chemotherapy. Um, and so ultimately I wasn't sure if I'd be ever, ever be able to have a child. So when I got pregnant naturally with my son, it was my dream come true. So basically being a mother is my heaven on earth. And I just like embrace every day. Like it's my last because I'm a cancer survivor. Like I realize, I realize that you, you never know if you have tomorrow. So ultimately, I just try to embrace every day. And um, with my Mystical Mama page, I bring everybody along on the journey. I share, um, you know, anything that's, you know, energy um, updates or anything that, that people can do with the energy. So that's, that's my, uh, my calling now. I've shifted more into, you know, the energy healer role. But being a mother has been the best experience of my existence so that is mainly what I am oh, I am mother and and my little Declan just he is hilarious like he's better than anything I could have ever imagined so I just enjoy the journey with him 
That's beautiful. So that's why I, I, when I say, what do you do? I don't like to say that because I, I kind of want to know who you are and what's important to you and what, um, what matters to you and, and what your life looks like and what, and that's such a beautiful thing to hear. Um, uh, and so you. you did mention that you had, um, that you had cancer, you were a pediatric cancer patient and survivor. So um, this actually leads us to your near-death experience. You can right. start wherever you want, because I know that the timeline isn't a straight path. Um, I would like to know also um, how, as a child, did you have any concept of spirituality or what? how were you raised in terms of spirituality, religion, before the near-death experience. So what did your life look like before you were, your diagnosis? Um, before my diagnosis, so I come from a very Irish Catholic um, family. And so, you know, we went to church. Uh, we loosely, it was like, you know, around the holidays and whatnot. But, um, but right before I got sick, my family had joined like a church group. And when I got sick, with, I was diagnosed with leukemia. I had a lot of like prayer chains going and whatnot. And so, you know, we were a part of the church, my family, and I do believe in the power of prayer because I have a lot of people praying for me. I do actually totally believe in that. Um, but after my near death experience, my family never really went back to church. Like they just, they saw a miracle happen in front of their eyes and like, it kind of changed us all to just know that God is always with us. We don't have to be in a church to feel that, you know, they saw it for themselves. God was in that hospital room at my bedside with me and with all of us. So, you know, after my dear death experience, um, I mean, I still had some time to go with cancer treatments and whatnot, but, um, and we were still, I guess the, the church group was still there for us and they were, we were with them, but I don't remember ever going back to church right. much, you know, maybe occasionally, but I feel it just changed my whole family, you know, not just me. My dad was, uh, he was in the army. Um, I was born in Fort Knox. Um, so it, it's, uh, they, they lived all over the world, my parents. So, you know, a military family, like my dad, he was out of the army by the time you know, I was, I think around the time I was born, he was out, but we still moved a lot. So we lived in Kansas uh, when I got diagnosed with cancer um, and we went to a hospital, children's hospital there. And it was amazing. I mean, like they're very holistic out in Kansas. So the way that they would approach my treatments was very mind body incorporated right? Like even my, this is a little like, like an idea of how they worked. These doctors were amazing. And I'm not, and then I, I, we ended up moving back to New Jersey and I went to children's hospital of Philadelphia after, but the beginning we lived in Kansas. Um, when I got diagnosed, I, the portacath that I had to get to get the cancer treatments through I was 13 years old, so the doctors told me they were going to put the portacath below my breast so that after I got through all of my treatments, when I went to school dances, I could wear a strapless dress and not show any scars because they usually put it up here. Mm -hmm. That's typically where the portacaths are put. So 
they did this. I mean, I had a naturally I ended up with an infection in spike, like 107 fever. (laughs) Yeah. I had no immune system and I got an infection. Then they had to take it out and they put the other one over here. So I had two scars. But when those doctors said that to me and they said, this way you can wear uh, a strapless dress to your school dances and stuff. In my 13 year old mind, I said, well, if they can see me there, then I'm going to be okay. And sure enough, for my prom, I both of, or no, my senior prom, I wore a strapless, beautiful strapless dress. And it was like, just that was the vision they had. And I manifested it. (laughs) Um, I'm a pediatric nurse and like a pediatric cancer survivor. So I've been in this game for a long time (laughs) between being a patient and a nurse. And I can tell you that the approach to pediatrics to children is so much different than adults. You really incorporate their mind into it because kids, you know, you want them to build their imagination. I mean, even down to the point of um, their pain management techniques that, that pediatrics uses with hypnotherapy, you know, I don't know how much they use that in adult medicine. So before I had my dear death experience, um, it really did help me to kind of just get that started of, of really understanding mind, body, and, um, you know, spirit, because it was all connect, like it was all um, in pediatrics, and I was in palliative care, right, so in palliative care, they kind of help you embrace life, but they also help you to accept death. Because ultimately, if you're in palliative care, you are close to dying. Right. So I was in palliative care for like three years because I got a diagnosed in 1995. They told my parents that they knew more about leukemia in cats than in humans. Oh, wow. Uh, most of the treatments were very experimental. And my parents told straight up, it's a 50-50 shot. It's either going to help or kill her. Like they didn't beat her on the bush back then. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, it, it really, the, the approach though, is what fascinates me. Um, and maybe because I was in palliative care. Yeah. So when I have my near death experience, it's like palliative being in palliative care helped me to embrace it even more. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So I wasn't talked out of anything. I don't think I even brought it up. Honestly, afterwards, I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> I just yeah. was so young, but yeah, well, I'll go into the near death experience, but the, it's, it's an interesting difference, especially working in pediatrics now. Um, you know, I just try to bring forth all the, the amazing, you know, work that was done with me, you know, like I learned from the best. I learned from my nurses and doctors, you know, ultimately even that little child inside of me wants to make my doctors proud. Like it's funny because I was, you know, for three years, I was, all my doctors were, they were like family, you know? So um, and I assume you know, that's what drew you to the profession. Absolutely. And my, my family too, my grandmother was a nurse, my mom's a home health aide. So kind of stayed in that, that medical field. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I learned so much because I, at the age I was, I was old enough to understand what was happening. Yeah. Um, with that came a little bit of trauma because I would hear like kids crying and little babies and like, I knew what they were going through, but they didn't know, you know, so it was, but with, with that, I felt like, um, I always, I always wanted to be a nurse, 
just like the nurses I had, you know, like yeah. I, they inspired me and I felt like I learned so much from that journey, you know, and I basically went into palliative care, like the pediatric patients I have, most of them are end of life. Um, it's basically keeping them comfortable until yeah. their time comes. So, um, so it really helped me to be able to help the families, to be able to help my patients, um, because I watched and learned from the best. Yeah. Like I said that my doctors were amazing. The treatments were very rough, mm -hmm. but I was always heard by my doctors. They never dismissed my concerns. Mm -hmm. That is something, unfortunately, sometimes happens in the adult world of medicine. Yeah. You get dismissed and it's, I'm just, it's just interesting, you know, right. um, but I, I the, the palliative care approach includes spirit, mind, body, and spirit, because yeah. ultimately you're preparing a person to die, to be okay with dying, to know that it's not going to hurt. It's a shift. Right. Like, so that, that prep leading into my NDE was like, if that wasn't all arranged, that I don't know what was. <laughs> that's that's what I meant to. That's what I'd like to ask you about. Is so I would like to go to the day of your near death experience. Um, but with I would like to go into the the day of your near death experience. But to understand the frame of mind you were in when it happened, were you in a place of fear at that time? Um, did you think you might die? What were your feelings? And then you can lead us into um, what happened. Okay, so um, the day of, I I was supposed to go down. I had already been in the hospital for months at this point. Like I was diagnosed at 13 years old. So the NDE happened about, I would say eight months into my treatments. I was getting um, spinal taps with um, intrathecal chemotherapy, which is in the spinal fluid because um, leukemia is cancer. So I, I like just to give a background, leukemia is cancer of the blood. So the cancer cells can get through to the brain via blood brain barrier. There could be a mixture and the cancer cells can get to the brain. So part of treatment for leukemia is chemotherapy in the spinal fluid to kill any cancer cells that might get to the brain. Well, on top of that, you get radiation to the brain. So, uh, I had been in the hospital for months at this point. And this was Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, and I remember I had a room facing inside. So the only thing I could see was the atrium. I had no outside window. So I'd been months and just in this hospital room, like no even natural light. It was kind of rough. So when they said, oh, you're gonna go down for your first radiation treatment to your brain. So my mom came with me um, I was kind of like, yay, I get to go for a ride, you know, in the wheelchair through the hospital. So we stopped at the gift shop. I got some candy. Um, I actually, they tattooed me for this because it's got to be the exact spot every time for radiation because um, whatever it touches is going to kill. So, you know, you want to just, you got to be very precise. So I actually still have tattoos on my face. Like they just put a black mark to keep it precise just to throw that in there. So we're going down. Um, I wasn't scared or anything. I was kind of excited because we had to go outside to University of Pennsylvania Hospital uh, Radiology Center, which was right next door to CHOP. So 
you know, the transporter or whatever nurse uh, brought me outside to go around to this side of the building and go in the, the place we had to go. And uh, I remember it was summertime, it was July. So of 20, uh, not 20, I'm sorry, 1996. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember they wheeled me out, just the feeling of the sun hitting my face, the smells, the sounds. Um, it was great. I felt like I just really took it in, which we're looking back. It was like, yeah, because I was about to have a massive experience. And it really, I felt it all. Um, and I hadn't been outside months you know, so it felt amazing. And then I got up to the radiology center and sat there with my mom and um, they had asked me to take out my earrings. So I went in the bathroom to take out my earrings and I'm looking in the mirror at myself as I'm taking out these earrings and it just felt weird. Like I'm staring at myself and it just felt like, I don't know, it felt weird. Like something was coming. <laughs> so I took out my earrings and sat back down in the wheelchair and I'm eating my candy. My mom's sitting with me. Um, I'm the next patient to go in for my first round of radiation to my brain. And all of a sudden I couldn't hold my head up. Like my head got heavy and I kept, I'm like to my left side, it kept falling. And as soon as I started, what is going on? My left arm went out and then my left leg went out. I couldn't lift anything on my left side. And I turned to my mom and I said, mom, something's wrong. I don't feel good. And she had been a home healthy for years. And so she said my mouth was drooping and she immediately said, oh my, she was stroking out. She ran, got the nurse. Um, they rushed me back to my room, which is all a blur. The next thing I remember is sitting in my hospital bed. My left side was still out. Um, I could speak, but it was slurred like somebody who had a stroke. Uh, my doctor came running in and the look on his face <laughs> was fear. This guy, he had no clue what he was looking at. He looked so scared. It prompted me to ask him, am I going to die? Cause like, he just looks so scared. You don't want your doctor looking scared. <laughs> so I was like, am I going to die? And he looked at me and said, I don't know. So at that point I just kind of stared off in space and whatever came next came next. I kind of accepted it well, then this is my time, you know, and shortly after that, my left side started to come back, interestingly enough, and the doctors didn't really know what was going on with me, because remember, most of this was experimental still, uh, so they, they, they didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, these type of treatments were new in the 90s, um, so my left side came back, and my doctor came up and said, you know, you really dodged a bullet because had you gone in to get the radiation, it would have burned the chemotherapy that we're putting in your spine that's going around. That is what caused the issue. The chemotherapy was attacking my brain. So the doctor was like, you would never have come out of that. It would have burned the chemo into your brain. So right there, I said to myself, something just saved me. Mm -hmm. Something just saved like that timing was too perfect. Yeah. The divine timing of my left side going out, I was the next patient to go in. If that happened while I was in there getting the radiation, I would never have come out of that. Mm 
Right. So the doctor gave me the okay to start eating again, because like you have to have a gag reflex to eat or you choke. And if you have a stroke, you could have, you know, have your throat is, is not working properly. So they did a test. They said, you're okay. You can eat. Um, and we just took it as like, wow, we dodged a bullet. We don't even know really what happened. So then I'm sitting there shortly after eating my lunch, watching stand by me with my dad. And he's sitting, you know, by the window eating too. And I go to swallow a carrot and I almost choked and I coughed it up. My dad looked at me quickly and I thought I said, or I said in my head, at least it's happening again. But my dad said, I was just my eyes were filled with tears and I was shaking in my voice. He, it was like mumbling, but I said, it's happening again. And then I was out. So the chemo was not done attacking my brain yet. So it threw me into a deep vegetative state. Um, I was fully aware, but trapped in my body. I could not use my body. I could not communicate. Um, I, it was, I was in decorticate posturing. It was a massive brain injury. I actually still have this arm. I had a contracture. So I had to have a surgery to pull it straight. And this arm doesn't even straighten because I, I have contractures from what happened still to this day. Um, the next thing I remember from that point was they brought me to do an MRI. And because they needed to know what is going on, they didn't know what was going on. Uh, so they brought me in to do an MRI, put me in the MRI, MRI machine, and they put headphones on because it's a loud banging and it's like an hour long. Yeah. But when they put the headphones on me, there was static coming through. And here I am, I couldn't communicate to tell them, you're, I'm listening to static and I have a brain injury. It was driving me crazy. So... Um, my whole body, I was like this, I couldn't move, I couldn't, you know, use my body or my voice or anything. And my dad was in the room with me when I was getting the MRI. And I, he's sitting there and I kept saying to myself, move your feet, move your feet, move your feet. And I got my foot to wiggle. Thank God my dad saw it. He jumped up. He said he saw tears running down my face. So he jumped up, literally started pulling me out of the machine. So everybody came in, they stopped, they sat me up. They brought me a dry erase board and a marker to communicate because they knew I had something to say. I couldn't say it. And because my hands were clawed up and I couldn't use them, I couldn't hold the marker to write. And I dropped it and I started crying. And that's when I just, I didn't even stop crying. I think I just said, this is crazy. This is my life now. This is going to be my life. And we trapped fully aware in my body and I can't even get my most basic needs met. Like I have an itch to scratch. Nobody can do it. I can't do it. It's crazy. So I started just crying. And my parents said, all I would do is cry. If, if I was awake and aware, I would just cry and cry. And it, even uh, I had to have a spinal tap, which was done without sedation because they would not sedate me because they didn't know what was going on, where I even was. So like, they can't put me under more with sedation or pain meds. So I had to get a spinal tap done without sedation, where I usually was sedated for that. And I can remember the feeling of, of getting the spinal tap. Mom, my dad was watching me. He said, my, I was just crying the whole time, just tears. Like, 
So the doctors figured out it was called, they called it leukodystrophy. Um, I was the eighth case in the country or the world. I'm not really sure at that point, but, and they found this out through going on the intranet to other hospitals. Like they didn't have the internet back then. Mm -hmm. So the intranets, they found out that um, they found that this was a severe adverse reaction to the chemotherapy in my spinal taps. And there were, uh, I was the eighth kid to have it, but the other ones did not wake up. The other ones stayed either in a vegetative state or they died. Um, so they told my doctors, just prepare their parents. It's like she's either never coming out of it or she's going to die. So that's what they told my parents. And they basically were like, she honestly be better off dead <laughs> because to be trapped in your body is way yeah. worse than that, which yeah. Yeah, like they didn't really beat around the bush, but whatever, straightforward. You know, uh, I think they were kind of freaking out too. You know, I think the doctors were a little bit like shook, you know, that they, they never had this happen. So back then it was called, they called it leukodystrophy. Now it's got a bigger term because they've done more research. It's happened more. I'm probably part of that research, but um, it's called methotrexate induced leukoencephalopathy. <laughs> Um, so after I remember briefly waking up, I see my arms like this. I wasn't really aware of my body. It was odd. It was like, my mind was completely clear, but I was so detached from my body. Then I must've started to slip deeper because I remember I was in and out of consciousness. The doctor said very like aware when I was awake, which that was the scary part, but when I would be unconscious and I started to slip deeper into this vegetative state or even into a coma at this point. Um, I remember being surrounded by a peaceful darkness. So I don't remember seeing a light. I remember I was not scared at all. It felt like swallowed, swaddled in darkness. Like, I, I, I can't even really explain the, the peace I had. Um, like I said, I didn't see the light, but I felt the light. I felt the love. Um, I was just completely at peace being in that darkness. And the next thing, I woke up to my entire family around my bed saying goodbye, like aunts, uncles, cousins, grandmothers, my grandfathers were passed by that point. I know they were there in spirit. Um, my parents, my siblings, everybody saying goodbye to me. I already had my last rites at this point. And I woke up and I remember looking at everybody and I knew I'd be okay. Cause like I was perfectly clear in my mind. I just couldn't use my body or, you know, verbalize anything, but I'm looking around and I'm like, why do they look so scared? I was confused. I'm like, I didn't know how I looked. I just knew I'd be okay. So I'm looking at all of them. I'm like, they look really scared. And I'm thinking to myself, it's okay, guys, I'm going to be okay. Like to comfort them, like telepathically, maybe energetically, I couldn't verbalize that, but I kept saying, it's, I'm going to be okay, guys. I'm going to be okay. And I feel like part of the reason I came back was because I was afraid of what was going to happen if I didn't come back. Like, how would it impact my family? Yeah. You know, at that point, I just, I wanted everybody to be okay. It was okay. And I remember I was looking up at my hospital 
the pole with the IV. And I'm like, what are they giving me? I just feel really tired. And uh, they were not giving me anything set, uh, sedative wise. It was just a regular, you know, saline solution um, to hydrate. But it, it was just, I, I, I felt, um, I felt fine. Like, I don't even know how to explain it other than it was, it was like uh, that darkness, it, there was something about it. Like it was not, you would think it'd be scary. Mm -hmm. You would think I missed that darkness. Like I black out my whole room and lay in my bed to be there again. Right. That's it was how peaceful. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but I knew I had to come back. So I came back, uh, after waking up, doctor said they did nothing to help me wake up at that point, they basically threw in the towel. I had my last rights read to me already. Like they, they told me, I feel like she was dying. I was slipping deeper. I know I was slipping deeper away because that's where I ended up in the dark, peaceful void. Like, and then I got sent back. And I mean, I, I made a full recovery. So I started, you know, I had to work on talking again and walking again. Um, cause this was a brain injury and usually you have to relearn stuff. Um, but I remember being very intuitive, like just knowing what to do for myself. And even my father always said that you just know what to do for yourself. Right. So I just like, even to learn how to talk again, I would listen to music and try to keep up. Um, just there was inner guidance that I never thought twice about. I just listened to it. Mm-hmm. I never had a, uh, you know, a name for it or anything. I just listened to it. So after that, uh, I still had to go through, you know, years of treatment, but after that, um, I went back to high school. I had an amazing time. Um, just embraced life. Yeah. Like I, I, I knew I dodged a huge bullet there and, um, you know, I, I was just happy to be able to walk and talk and communicate. And, you know, I got a, my life could have been so different. Right. I could have been locked in my body right now. Yeah. Like locked in. And that was horrifying, horrifying. I'm going to say that because I mean, I was fully aware before, but I was so fully aware and then in my body, it's just trapped. Yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of, kind of, once I got done with all of all my treatments and everything, I just wanted to be a normal kid. I just want to be a normal teenager. Like who wants to be weird? And well, right. some people want to be weird, but like, I just wanted to fit in. Like, I just, just, I never talked about my cancer or my treatments. I went back to school, like nothing happened. So I kind of buried it because I wanted to have a normal life. And I did, I had an amazing time in high school, met amazing people. I've met so many amazing people that I'm so grateful for that, you know, either in high school, after high school, um, the people I have met, I feel guided to, you know what I mean? Like, I can see the reason we're in each other's lives. And like I said, these are things I can see and notice that like, I never thought twice about, but you know, ultimately, I guess it was heightened intuition Mm -hmm. because like the after effects of a near death experience, you have them, even if you don't notice them. Right. Right. So it took me a while to like have words or even notice. I was like, oh, wow, I've been doing a long time. That's weird. (laughs) Right. And what's, what really strikes me too, is that, um, 
it, it feels like even though you didn't have the whole angels and the, you know, right message, like the, the strong messages that just being outside of your body, having the experience of being in that safe, peaceful place mm -hmm. sort of shifted your, con well, it shifted your consciousness from your, your body into right. a place of intuition that it sounds like in yeah. high school, you weren't, um, quite aware that that's what that was, that you would become spiritual in right. the sense that you perceived things from a more spiritual perspective, um, right. or felt that, uh, or, or were guided more by intuition than by external, um, external oh, events absolutely. or people or that sort of thing. And I would see synchronicities and stuff. And I would be like, I didn't have, I didn't know the word synchronicity yet, but when I would see the synchronicities, I knew I was on the right track. Right. I just knew that I, I didn't have words for it. It just was like, I might like, for instance, in my early twenties, um, which is, this is a little weird because I actually forgot. I like buried my near death experience because of the trauma part, the childhood trauma, I buried it. So I was very dis disassociated with what happened. And that's what happens with childhood trauma. You bury it so you can handle it. Right. So that's, spiritually I think it's done spiritually like that you know so you can lead a normal life and then you have to deal with it eventually so I, in my early 20s I got a job working as a pathology assistant um I always want to be a crime scene investigator but because I have like physical issues from the side effects of the, the chemotherapy I can't um be a detective like I'd have to go through police academy and it's a lot of physical stuff I just yeah. couldn't do so I always like oh that's just so interesting to me right then this job just drops in my lap. I get this job as a pathology assistant at a local hospital, and we assist the um, county medical examiner in autopsies. So I was I would I was an autopsy assistant for the county medical examiner for five years. So the re, the way I knew I was in the right place is because I was Jen Dean, the deaner. Deaner is the the label for autopsy assistant. It's like D-I-E or D-I-E-N-E-R. It's different spelling, same sound. So I was Jen Dean, the deaner. So I always looked at that like, well, I'm in the right place. But like, <laughs> yeah. it's odd because I didn't remember that I like almost died. <laughs> I think I blocked it, but I was so led to death. Yeah. And when I worked in that job, I thought it was going to be more of the physical side of things that were going to be rough. You know, all the blood, it's, it's a gory job, but uh, spiritually, I was so spiritually open in that job for that career with souls that were transitioning. Yeah. And usually these souls had traumatic deaths because medical examiner cases or homicides, um, you know, overdoses, uh, suicides, car crashes, like typically the deaths that I would deal with were traumatic deaths. So the soul gets a little confused. And I never thought twice about feeling anything or uh, anybody who works with the dead can tell you, you can feel, you can feel them there. Like funeral directors and stuff, they know, you know, you, if you're working, you're, and I, there are times I have to be alone with the body to set up, clean up, get it ready for the funeral home. And those are the times I kind of just tapped in and was like, just go, go to the light. Um, you, there's a beautiful place waiting for you. And I knew that from my own experience because I'd never be able to do that job 
unless I had no fear of death, which is what I came out of my, my ND with. I was so full of life because I was like, I'm never going to die. Right. <laughs> that That's- was my mentality. But like, yeah, your body dies, but I'm never going to die. Right. So yeah. And I, that's what's, both- I wanted to kind of touch on that because I, you, when you said that your near-death experience was more of just sort of a blackness and in, it was a state of consciousness where nothing mm-hmm. was happening, but you felt so great. That's what I, I really appreciate about it too, is that you didn't even have to see to know. And that's- Right, I felt. You knew. I felt it. Right. And I knew. And, and the funny part is when I came out of that, I have stronger clairsentience and claircognizance right. more than anything. Yeah. So it's interesting. I came out of that with a stronger feeling and like my feelings and my knowings I right. always pay attention to. Um, so it's interesting. Like I, I do have visions and stuff. Like it's just stronger with the feeling right. side of so I felt the love, I felt the light, um, you know, researching more into it. I, I feel like maybe I was just in the cosmic womb, you know, yeah. just in suspended animation and cause it wasn't my time Yeah, even close to my time. So it was like, I had a lot more work to do. And so, you know, I was, he, it sounds funny, but like healed by the dark. <laughs> I was rebirthed from, you know, from it just, it was an amazing experience. And you, you would think it would be kind of scary, but it wasn't, right. it wasn't and, at all. And I know you had a, a story that you wanted to share about one of the experiences you had while working in that field, um, which I'd love to hear you, um, you share. Yeah, definitely. So um, I was kind of still new to being a deaner or an autopsy assistant. We have one case with um, an older man, older gentleman. He he was an end stage can he had end stage cancer, and he was terminal, and he could not take the pain anymore, and he ended his own life. And I remember it like it was yesterday. The body was on the table. Guy still had a pain patch on his arm, you know, going through the cancer treatments, and I was a cancer survivor. I'm a cancer survivor. I knew the pain that man went through. And trust me, at times you wish that you weren't alive because the pain is so overwhelming. It just wanted to end. And I just, I had, there were, so during an autopsy, I'd be the one doing the cutting and handing the medical examiner would be next to me. This is the autopsy table. He'd be next to me. I do the cutting, take out the organs, hand them to the doctor. He gross, he'd take whatever he gross means like dissect. And he would take whatever he needed. There would be sheriffs there because these are, these are medical examiner cases. So it's, you know, an active investigation um, to find the cause of death. So any, any even unattended deaths, unless there's a doctor to sign off on the death certificate to say, yes, this person died from this, usually it's going to be an autopsy because they need to find a def- definitive cause of death. So there's sheriffs there and I'm all suited up to do this. And uh, I, I just connected so heavily with this soul. It bothered me to my core that he had to die like that. And I stuck my hand out. Sheriffs are watching me, doctor. I put my hand out and I put it on this man's arm. Just 
it just really shook me. Um, and when I did that, I saw what he did. Like I got a flash of how he ended his life and it like, it did shake me. And my eyes started to fill with tears and a sheriff came over and put his arm around me and whispered into my ear, you need to detach from these cases or you're going to lose your mind. So right there, I said, okay, okay. So I pulled back. It shook me so much that in the end, like I ended up sticking myself, not with a syringe, but like a sewing needle. And I had to go for like HIV testing for a year because to make sure and nothing happened and I was fine and everything, but that's how much it shook me. Like I was, it just, I just felt so bad that this man had to die that way. And I felt like he was like part of my soul group. I just met him afterwards. Mm -hmm. I feel his soul in me all the time. There have been times when I've been down to my darkest moments and it's like, he's there to remind me to like, keep going, keep going. You know, don't do what I did. Keep going. Because I mean, you know, in the end, suicides, a lot of times, like afterwards, their soul is like, what have I done? But that's just the way this man, he was suffering. And I just, it really, it really affected me on like, he shouldn't have had to die like that alone and in that manner. And it really, really affected me. But I feel him with me all the time. Right. So I do believe it was part of my soul group that I met because like I said, when I'm, if I have like, if I, and I have fallen into like a deep depression, which I'll talk about more if you want. Yeah. And I did feel him there just reminding me like, don't, you know, keep going, keep going. And, um, just to remind me to really embrace life, embrace the journey. And, you know, sometimes you got to fight through the darkness, but like, I felt, I, I do, I feel him there. I really do. Like, um, it'll just come through as like a, kind of like a memory from that point, mm -hmm. but not so much the bad part of like, that was the thing is in my early twenties, I had no idea about mediumship or having visions or after effects and near death experiences. And when I put my hand on this man, that energy from what happened was still there. Yeah. And I saw it and it just, oh, I met, it was, that was the thing working in that type of field. Uh, it's, you see a lot of rough stuff. So it, it was, you know, I, I really appreciate that detective or that, that sheriff coming and kind of reminding me, like, don't connect so heavily, yeah. you know, like take me under his wing. Because after that, I, I really didn't, I tried to pull it back a bit. So it wasn't like, Cause it's a sad job, you know, mm -hmm. so you don't want to feel that all the time. So it does. It, and eventually you get to the point where you're doing an autopsy, talking about what you're going to meet for lunch afterwards. Right. You know, it's kind of gross. You're so detached from what you're doing. Um, but uh, that, that case has some of the cases, there's a couple other cases that I'll never forget that have helped me through hard times. And I remember you know, it's almost like I want to learn the lesson for them. So they didn't die in vain. Right. You know, I'm learning it for you, you know? Right. So I feel like there's a little bit of a, there's a reason I'm there. You know, there was an absolute reason I was there. And I always, no matter what, I never judged. Like I never had judgment against these people. I always, always looked at it. Like they're just, they're in a better place now. Mm -hmm. 
they're in a better place or they're on their way to a better place. As I've gotten older, I realized, honestly, the soul is probably still in transition at that point because we would do these autopsies within the first 24 hours of death. And a lot of times with um, traumatic deaths, it takes the soul a minute to realize they're gone, they're dead. And then sometimes they might linger for to make sure family's okay or, you know, before they fully cross over. So I would just, you know, send love and compassion and, you know, just to set the energy for whatever their transition. So there's never judgment for these people. I just knew that obviously life is hard. Mm -hmm. Earth is rough. Like it is not an easy go. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I never judged anyone, um, any of the souls. It's, it, it was, it was what it was really. But some of the, some of the cases, that one case that just never left me. Right. And I think that there's a reason for that. And I truly do. I believe he's part of my soul group. I just yeah. met him after. The right. fact. That makes, that makes so. sense because he still has an impact on you now and have right. lessons to learn. And, and along the um, topic of sort of lessons, I think, what is it that now you really want people to know? Um, to help them. I mean, this has been such a difficult time for everyone, specifically in the last two years, um, in the last few years for a lot of people. And um, like you said, we're here, this is earth school. It's not meant to be easy. There are, there are, there is joy because we do need the contrast um, to appreciate when things are beautiful. And I've been there too. um, You were talking about going through a depression and yeah. I, what I didn't say to you then, cause I'm saying it to you now is I went through years where I didn't want to live. I was so yeah. in so much pain, yeah. emotional pain and so much right. emptiness several times in my life. And I always look back and think, I am so glad I stuck around right. and I stuck around for my family. And I stuck around yes. out of fear of how would I even transition myself? But the right. thing is that in the long run, it's because I had, I didn't even know what was ahead, what I'm getting chills right. right now. I have total spirit tingles right now. Yeah. There was so much more for me to do. And now yeah. that I'm in such a, a big, a big uh, purpose still a huge purpose. And now I'm like, everything's so vibrant, even not having died, yes. having yeah. had that experience of not wanting yes. to be here. Right. Now people would probably say, I probably have a greater lust for life than most people right. do. Right. I am people the one who's like, that. Yeah, I just want to see everything and do everything. Well, it's like a, a dark night of the soul. Yeah. You know, it's a spiritual awakening. And that's the message is a lot of people are going through this shift. Stick it out. Uh, it may get down to the point where, like, like I have been there too. And, and that was the thing. I got down to my darkest, deepest depression I've ever been in after losing a loved one. And I was, I really, same thing. I didn't want to live um, you know, at this point I was in my thirties, like 33 or so. And, uh, I didn't want to live, but I had my family. I couldn't do that to my husband at the time. I, I really did stick it out, but it was just, I, I would sit outside under the night sky and just ask God, why the hell am I here? Mm-hmm. Why am I here still? And she's gone. Why not take me? And I made ma- ma- massive like survivor's guilt which is something that comes along with being a cancer survivor because you end up seeing a lot of your friends die and you live and you don't understand why am I here and they're not, yeah. you know, and, and cancer survivorship is not easy. You know, I have chronic pain every day. I have a lot of issues. 
Um, I handle them well because I'm dealing with my whole life, but, uh, so I was just confused, Yeah, you know, and I started to lose my faith and that's when I had a spiritual, um, experience. Yeah. Um, I ended up my, my friend who had passed away. Uh, I had like an out-of-body experience. I ended up in my, I, w- I was laying on the couch. I passed out or s- I don't know what happened, but I ended up in the kitchen with her. And I remember I'm thinking like, how are you here? I knew she was dead and it was no verbal, just like what? And she was like an angel. She was glowing. It, it, it almost, it, looking back, it was like the light dressed up as who I needed to see, mm-hmm. right? Or her soul, whatever. It was her. And the last time I saw her was in her coffin. So it was beautiful to see her as an angel. And she hugged me and um, said, thank you for everything you've done. And the next thing I know, I woke up on my couch, I felt this peaceful feeling come from through the top of my head, all the way through my body, out my feet. And I laid there crying because I knew I'd been hugged by an angel. And I felt so at peace. And I was like, that was a definite experience because I felt it. I didn't just see it. Well, after that, I pulled out of my deep, dark depression. Then I got pregnant with my son two months later. So I cry when I think back to that time. If I would have ended my life, I was two months from experiencing my heaven on earth. So my message to everybody, stick it out. Really get through that dark time, however you can. And and spirituality, like there's so much things, so many things you can do to try and help yourself out of that dark place. Um, And sometimes we do need to just sit in it, feel it, and then release it, release it. And then you're making way for the energy to come through to heal you. So that is like, really, it was like I was hugged by the light. Mm -hmm. And then I got pregnant with, with no medical intervention, with a kid that me and my husband at the time were trying for for like six years. Wow. Just boom, pregnant. It was incredible. And then it was like such, I felt like it was a dream. Um, and there was actually my intuition after that, I should mention this. My intuition starts to really spike at this point. So before it was like, yeah, I noticed it and stuff like that. But like, after I, I was hugged by the light, hugged by my friends, you know, an angel, my spirit, um, my intuition was going crazy. Like I'd see synchronicities, numbers, all kinds of so much coming in at once. I was almost like, what the heck is happening? It's never been like that. Um, I started to get a feeling that I was pregnant. Now I don't ignore my feelings and I know there's something called phantom pregnancy. Well, you know what? I don't know. I don't ignore my feelings. So I kept, I even told my doctor, I was like, I feel, I feel pregnant, but nothing, I'm not getting positive results. Um, and this was after I was hugged by the light, like I just felt it coming. Right. But it wasn't there yet. And it sounds weird, but I have always been taught to embrace what I'm feeling. And to my core, I felt pregnant, but it wasn't coming up on a test. So at this time I went to a couple doctors um, I, I rheumatoid arthritis and they, 
they give me like it's chemotherapy medication that they give to treat that. So two doctors are telling me, I don't know, just start taking the, the medication again, which is this medication you have to stop at least six months before even trying to have a baby because it kills quickly growing cells. Yeah. So it will either cause you to miscarry or you're going to have a very deformed baby or, you know, it was like two different doctors telling me to take this med and to my core. And I'm like, I, but if I feel pregnant, should I take that medicine? It didn't feel right. I was no way I'm not doing that. Yeah. No way. You know, and thank God, because like two or three months later, after they were telling me to take it, had I listened, I got pregnant. I just pulled out, out of a deep depression. Um, had I taken that medicine and I would have had to make a decision that I was not ready to make, it would have destroyed me. Yeah. Right. So I'm so, I mean, at one point the intuition got so strong. I had an ultrasound. I look up at the screen. There was a 20 week fetus. I look over at the tech and I see she's not seeing that. And I'm making sense. Like uh, there's no way I'm 20 weeks pregnant. So I'm like, Oh shit, this is coming. Uh, this is coming to me. And I like, didn't say anything. Cause like I'll end up in a straight jacket. So mm -hmm. I'm going to shut up and just roll with this. <laughs> and I did, I ended up aligning my body to the visions and the feelings I was having. I, I started to eat right. I detoxed my body. I started to take prenatal vitamins. I started taking herbs. It was like, after I was hugged by the light, it was a download of information on how to get to my son holistically. I can't even tell you the meditations, the visualizations, um, getting my moon cycle, my cycle in tune with the moon. Um, it was just so much stuff that just came to me. And that is how I got pregnant with my son. So now, I, mind you, if that for each person to each their own, at that point, my body's been through so much with Western medicine. It was like, almost like maybe, you know, maybe the holistic side of things is a better shot of trying to get pregnant, but it was just, I knew, I knew what to do to get to my son. And then when I got pregnant, it was after seeing a double rainbow on St. Patty's day, which I'm Irish and Scottish. All my grandparents are passed on. And, um, I remember seeing the rainbow and I heard, take the test. And I was like, I don't know if I want to take the test. Like, I feel like a crazy person. You know what I mean? I'm going to take a test. I, I, so it was like, no, take the test. So I took it and it was, I got two pink lines and I was like, oh my God. Like after seeing a double rainbow on St. Patty's day, I feel like my grandparents while they're welcoming me into my version of heaven on earth. God gave me it exactly when I needed it. Yeah. But to get there, I had to start remembering what I went through 20 years prior. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was, that was the thing I had to start sifting through. Once I started being, losing my faith and this feeling came on, I started to kind of remember why I'm here and really fully remember what happened. I mean, I started talking to my parents about it and they were surprised because I never brought it up, but I'd always done well. You know, um, they were worried about me going into this depression. Everybody saw it, you know, um, but it was, it was just incredible to actually start remembering things. And my parents are there to confirm the things I'm remembering, but getting to my son, uh, that was the ultimate goal in my entire existence. I just wanted to be a mother. That's it. That is my heaven on earth feeling life grow inside of me. I always, I always 
was at war with my body because I had so many issues from the chemo and the side effects. And so my body's always giving me problems. But to like, look at my kid now that my body grew to perfection. It blows me away every time, you know, to feel life grow inside me. It was incredible. It really, it just gave me, it was like remembering my near death experience and what I'd been through and, you know, the bullet I dodged and to be here and then be pregnant was incredible. So, you know, becoming a mother was, was my ultimate goal. I swear I've like every, I feel like it feels like I've had many lifetimes, but I've never been a mother, Mm. you know, like I, I just have never actually had a child. And then this lifetime, I finally achieved that. I had, I have some traumatic past life memories. So, you know, I, I think maybe something happened before I ended up being able to have a baby. Um, so I, I think it's just like, it just feels like I've come full circle in this life. That's what's so beautiful. I think about spirituality in general is that once you start, I don't know, as you get, some people learn it younger. Um, but I think we start to see the patterns and synchronicities in our lives that led us to where we are. And it all makes sense. I'm now yes. I can see, oh, and I, and it's all these callbacks to, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember when that happened and now it all came full circle. And it's so cool to see. Yeah. I've said it in another interview that I always now see how it's like God's God wrote this screenplay for my life. And, it, yes. and I'm like, God, look what, look what God did there. There it's like, I right. see the, the, the connections and the synchronicities. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of um, ND years take back with them is um, no matter how far they went to the other, whatever we call the other dimension, the other state of consciousness, right? Um, they all kind of, the common theme is coming back with a new awareness of who we really are and right. um, being more in touch with intuition and being yeah. able to um, understand our life paths and what we're here for. And hopefully right. by sharing your story and um, others like you sharing theirs, it's encouraging other people to just really be in tune with where they're being led and yes and that's important right now um there's a lot of such confusion in this ever since 2020 yeah and i think as also the energy rises we're getting we're going into a different energy field like in the universe we're going into a higher energy field that's why we're rising our consciousness people's intuitions might be getting louder right now um, you might be seeing more synchronicities. You might, you might, um, you know, actually start to see spirits if you're a medium and you don't know it, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of mediums that are awakening to their gifts right now. Right. So it's all about just, I think near death experiences are just trying to help people understand that like, this is actually normal, Mm -hmm. like nothing to be afraid of. It's actually just energy. It's an energy shift, just like death. Death is an energy shift. You go from one to the next. You know, it's a birth. You know, it's a a death and then a rebirth to the next dimension. This is not it. It's actually a very short journey on earth to learn lessons. And it's not meant to be easy. Um, But in the end, when you go through something, look back and what was the lesson you learned? Okay, that was the lesson. Okay, take that and leave the rest. Like, 
because most of the times you learn the best lessons through going through the worst shit. <laughs> so, I mean, the biggest lessons are going to be when your heart is shattered by something. Absolutely. And so, you know, when you dive deep into that pain, you draw back your pieces and you become whole again and you shine a little brighter because you've been to the deepest, darkest place and now you are in the light again, right? So that happens on earth too. It just happens in a different way um, because ultimately like on earth, it's a little bit different than just being energy or spirit, you know? Yeah. And I'd love to leave it there because I think you just ended it so beautifully, how it all comes first full circle. And really, I think that is the message. And yeah. it's so beautiful to keep in mind that whenever you're going through the shit, just mm -hmm. remember that it doesn't, yes, recognize. Don't let it consume you. And, uh, yeah. I mean, feel your feelings, sit in grief, mm -hmm. allow yourself to cry and be angry. And that's okay. Yes. Yes, like that said, is a big message too. Yeah. Just as like a Reiki practitioner, I know there's a, a lot of um, positivity only type thing, like toxic just positivity. Toxic, that is not good um, because you block your energy fields. Like you, you, you mess up your chakras and you're not in alignment because things need to be felt and released. So you are open to the actual, the energies coming through the planet right now are very healing energies. Yeah. So we are all feeling it. This is why a lot of people have anxiety or, or you're feeling stuff a lot more in 2020 because it's a huge shift that we yeah. went through. So yeah, I think, I think it, that's a good point to feel the shit and release it. Just feel it yeah. and let it go. Pick out the lesson from it and release it. That was my lesson and it was a good one because usually the ones that break your heart are the ones that, that that's a, you know what, it, it, in a way it's like, it, ha it makes you stronger because you get through it. And yeah. usually you have to be the one to get yourself through it. You know, obviously we have support systems, but ultimately we are the ones who get ourselves through it. But yeah, just remembering that, like, try not to get stuck there yeah. in that, in that, um, darkness because a lot of people are going through this process of death and rebirth mm -hmm. so even if you're in the dark you'll get to the light again it will you will oh thank you so much jen i really oh, appreciate no you being here today and sharing your energy your time your insight it's Anytime. been such a pleasure yes it's been awesome thank you so much for having me on